Hey, check out my latest book, Porcelain Travels, humor, horror, and revelation in, on, and around toilets, tubs, and showers. An Amazon bestseller in four categories, including travel humor and literary travel, and a finalist for the Forward Indies Humor Book of the Year. Porcelain Travels is also winner of four Solas Awards and Gold for Humor in the Reader's Favorite Awards. You can also check out Porcelain Travels' companion podcast of the same name, which features stories excerpted from the book, including several performed before a live audience. Porcelain Travels is available in paperback and ebook on Amazon and most other online retailers. Travel Misadventures in Morocco Written and narrated by Matthew Felix The Desert Visitor The unpaved, pothole-laden road quickly disappeared as we drove out of town. In its place, there wasn't any road at all, at least not one I was able to discern. All I could make out were random tire tracks in the charred black crust of the desert floor. At first there were just a few, but many more followed. Coming and going in all directions, they crisscrossed in beguiling patterns, at times converging, only to diverge again soon after on their own phantom trajectories. A respectful silence descended upon the van, disturbed only by the gentle voices of the two Moroccans in front. They had seen it all before, but the rest of us were mesmerized. A flat, barren desert extended to the horizon and beyond, a vast emptiness as expansive as the sky above. There were no signs. We didn't see a single other vehicle. I was suddenly aware of having put our complete trust in the drivers. Ironic, perhaps, given so many of our previous experiences, but I knew we were in good hands. Somewhere well into the trip, contours began to appear in the terrain. The road became very rough. Before we knew it, the van was jostling about like a plane in turbulence. Peter spilled water down the front of his shirt. A curious golden form eventually appeared on the horizon, a smooth silhouette arching softly into the sky. Though we were still at a distance, it seemed on a scale incongruous with its surroundings, dwarfing them. Its form and color, too, seemed strikingly out of place, inconceivably pure. It was followed by another, which gave way to more still. The Saharan Sand Dunes Soon we were following their periphery, coming to the end of a grueling trip when at long last we got to Merzuga. A small number of buildings was scattered randomly about, dwellings and hotels run by the local Bedouins. The only sense of order came from a dusty, unpaved lane around which most of the buildings were loosely grouped. We had arrived in the off-season, and the village was nearly empty. After thanking our drivers, we split off into Paris to investigate our accommodation options. Peter and I immediately came upon a modest hotel built within the last year. Not only was it clean and economical, it was also completely vacant. We would have it all to ourselves. A single-story adobe structure, like so much of the rest of the town, the hotel looked as though it could have risen right out of the sand. It had a whitewashed interior, and the main entrance opened onto a communal space where meals were had and stories exchanged. A short hallway led to five simple bedrooms and shared bathrooms. The owner, a Bedouin with three little boys, was not only a good-natured, genuine host, but an amazing cook. For dinner, he treated us to a fantastic kalia, a savory vegetable dish we all agreed was probably the best food any of us had tasted on our travels. We requested it again the next day. Our bellies full, we lumbered up to the rooftop to enjoy the desert night. The stairs were on the outside of the building, 
made from the same baked earth as the rest of it. That proved true for the roof as well. I couldn't help but wonder if a heavy rainfall wouldn't wash the entire structure away. Looking up at the cloudless nighttime sky, I had no doubt. I had never seen so many stars in my life. Ironic that ten minutes later I would see even more. Without warning, the few lights in the village all turned off at once. With absolutely nothing between us and it, the sky came that much more alive. It was mind-blowing. When our fatigue finally got the better of us, we went back inside. I was the first to see it. Clinging to the wall at the end of the hall, in the faint light I made out a large form. About the size of a small rat, it didn't move. You guys, look, I said, stopping dead in my tracks. What the hell is that? asked Gary, moving in closer. Oh my god, Peter exclaimed. It's a bloody spider! But it's got antennas, I observed. All the same, Gary was right. Despite the feathery protrusions on its head, the creature had eight legs. It was an arachnid. I had never seen such a large spider. It was larger than my fist, bigger than the tarantula I'd once seen crossing the road in Sequoia. Always a bit of an arachnophobe, I wasn't at all happy it had come inside to join us. The spider darted up the wall, sending Gary reeling backwards. Jesus Christ, he yelled. Shit, said Jason, looking up. How are we going to get at it now? Not only was the roof high, but it was supported by rafters. Even if we could get up there, we had no way of knowing where the mutant beast, a rat-sized spider with feathery antenna, was hiding. We're not, laughed Gary. All we can do is hope it doesn't come down in the middle of the night and crawl into our beds, Peter joked. No one laughed. Laughed. 